Hey everyone, I want to take just one second and do something that I've never actually done before, which is to ask you for something. Now we've recorded something like 143 episodes at this point, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've asked for a favor, but here it is. So in just a few weeks, I'm going to be fighting in a charity boxing match to raise money for cancer research. That's right, a charity boxing match. I'll be risking life and limb in a public match with all proceeds going to discover better cancer treatments. So here's the favor. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while or gotten something useful from my conference talks, I would really love it if you would consider paying that forward with a donation. Now, it's likely that cancer is something that will affect us all in some way at some point, and so I think we should all be doing what we can to change that. It takes about two minutes, you don't need an account, and the money goes to a really good cause. It's an easy way to do a good deed for the day and feel awesome. If you're inclined, you can donate at bit.ly.com slash giant robots. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Pam Selly. Hey, Pam. Hey, how are you doing? Good, thanks. So I'm actually really excited to see that you're at the Recurse Center. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. I'm going to be uh, a resident there in a couple months. Oh, yeah, I did see that, but I won't be here anymore. <laughs> okay. Well, how, how are you liking it so far? It's good. Um, I have an idea for a new project, and I just I kind of need to get rolling on it but i did one big project and then i've also learned a ton of other stuff uh-huh. um it's honestly the most annoying thing about it the two things are one no one else really understands what it is because yeah. everyone i'm really glad they changed the name mm-hmm. um because when it was called hacker school it just had all these like loaded connotations mm-hmm. um i've had more than one person people who like i've worked with who know that i'm a software engineer ask me how boot camp is mm. and i mean i'm a diva and so that bothers me yeah, yeah. but then then the other thing was kind of like a cool surprise was is that it's it's in new york and i'm from philadelphia and I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to go to this thing. It's in New York. Like, I have all these friends from the industry and stuff in New York. I'll see them, like, all the time. I was super wrong. <laughs> but the other, like, the cool side effect of that is that there's just so much going on at Recurse Center. Just everyone has something to share. And so there's all these ad hoc, you know, workshops or lectures or reading groups or there's even a walking group of like, let's go walk for 20 minutes because we all sit at our computers too much. Uh, I'm going to be in that um, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun walking group. You'll definitely, if it's not going when you get here, you have to like find the stream in the chat room and revive yep. it. Um, but it, it's really nice to to just go walk and talk to people. Yeah, yeah, totally. People listening might not know uh, what our Recurse Center is. Can you just give us a, a little bit of the gist? Yeah, I mean, I've heard a few different ways that people put it. The website way would be something like a a retreat for programmers. Mm-hmm. So kind of like how writers go on writers retreat. This is a retreat for programmers where it's an intentional space where you work on your craft. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I've heard that I kind of liked is calling it Montessori school for programmers. <laughs> nice. Where it's just, you know, there's no, there's no rules. There's no, I mean, there are facilitators, but that's just kind of, you know, they're there in case you're too nervous to talk to other people. Mm. But I mean, everything's self-directed. You could do absolutely nothing and no one will care. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could, you know, write really awesome stuff and like people will think it's cool. And But it's also, you know, like good for you. You, you get a t-shirt at the end. <laughs> there's yep. no, there's no, uh, no graduation per se. Yeah. Sounds like it's like super open-ended. Is that difficult to deal with? 
Yeah. I mean, it's one of the challenges people have coming in. It was one of the things when I talked to alumni before I came that was very, almost all of them, there were things I, you know, wish someone had told me, yeah, yeah. like every single one of them said, it's really unstructured. No, really, <laughs> it's really unstructured. Mm-hmm. I think it helped a lot having that, like knowing that going in. Mm-hmm. And I, I did a couple things for me personally that worked was like the first thing I did was immediately do a quick project mm-hmm. just to do something. Yeah, totally. And I think for, I mean, it depends on your style, but for me, that was great because some people start going straight into theory and mm. then they can get kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially interesting because it's, I mean, maybe this is it's also kind of convinced me to be more on team project-based learning mm. because I've been, I've been working on projects and researching topics and I'll end up learning something really interesting or that I didn't plan on because I had the time to wander and I had the time to get interested in stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because of a project I've read, like, this is my big thing I wrote about on my blog is that I, I actually read a chapter of SICP because it was related to my research. And I was like, this is awesome because so many people force themselves to read SICP, which is Structure and Interpretation of Computer Programs. Yep. But so many people will force themselves to do it and it's miserable because it's a textbook. And why would you read that for fun? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, whatever, if you are into that. But it's a, that was kind of like my pinnacle of the unschooling method was yeah. like was reading SICP on purpose. Nice. Um, at the same time, it's also like there's also been just like random discoveries. Like you have to, it's the balance of like working on what you need to work on and being open to serendipity. So I've also worked on some Go while I'm here. I've been doing Haskell. Uh, I learned Lisp. Like I just done a lot of things that I didn't necessarily intend to do because I was open to doing them. Mm-hmm. But it's the balance of doing that without, you know, only doing that. Because mm-hmm. then you'll just feel really scattered. You have to have kind of a thing that you're focusing on. Sure. One of the things that attracted me to uh, Recurse Center, or Recurse Center? Recurse Center, I guess, uh, was uh, they have some awesome social rules, like uh, no feigning surprise, I love. For example, like you can't be like, I can't believe you don't know what a whatever is or something like that. I'm a huge fan of that. I think that's one of the most toxic things in, well, almost anywhere, but especially our industry. Yeah, I mean, I like it. And it's, I think the coolest thing about it is that it's actually even not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Like people get really, I mean, I've heard people come and say that they got really nervous about the social rules. I mean, and I, you know, I, I fall into the category of being really excited about it. But mm-hmm. also knowing that, but you have to know, like, I guess people get nervous because they're like, oh, no, I'm going to mess up and everyone's going to hate me. Mm-hmm. But that's not true. I mean, I'm excited by it because I know that I'm going to mess up and I'm going to have the opportunity for someone to tell me that I'm doing something that I'm like, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, it's the social correction thing. Like when you're, if you're like, maybe the theory of like, if you're on a diet or whatever, and you want to have a friend to like knock the donut out of your hand, hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, like that is really helpful if you're trying to change a behavior about yourself to have a community of people who are saying, Hey, you know, you're trying to work on that thing. Just, you know, gentle reminder, you know, no judgment, no harshness, gentle reminder that you're working on that thing. And if your goals change, then, you know, they change. But my goal is to, you know, be more, be more open to people who don't think like me and, you know, doing things like feigning surprise or, you know, well, actually, or backseat driving or other rules. Like, so when you're, Oh, and it's so annoying when people do this, when you're talking about a problem and then someone three tables over is like, oh, hey, I have a thing to say about that. And mm-hmm. you're like, Why? one, thanks for letting me know you were eavesdropping, mm. which like, I know you can't help it, but it's weird. <laughs> 
and and two like go away <laughs> why like it's just rude mm-hmm. but i think it's it's interesting that they've managed to codify those kind of those are like those to me those are just part of not being rude as well right but you know when you say not being rude that actually means certain like it's actually a very cultural thing for sure and so depending on what people came from they honestly might not know that they're being rude mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah and so i always have to remember that when i get all offended when someone does something rude like or you know if you're walking on the street and someone is standing oh god when people stand on the left side of the escalator mm-hmm. like they have to just not know <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the only way that i can like make peace with the world working is they have to just not know otherwise they are just super rude mm-hmm. <laughs> but do you say excuse me to those people uh if i'm walking yeah. yeah but sometimes it's just the principle of it even mm-hmm. if i'm standing i'll just be like why are you standing there like right. i'll stand on the right because i do what i do mm-hmm. and then people will I, I was just visiting dc and there's just every single metro has escalators and so this is like the bane of people who live in dc's existence is tourists standing on the left of the escalator mm-hmm. um whereas we don't really we don't really have escalators in philadelphia <laughs> I don't know what occasion I would have to ride on an escalator. Okay. Like if I went to a mall, I don't know. It's just not, it's a very, you know, low rise city. Sure. <laughs> there's not, there's not many escalators. Yeah. So what is the, what's the vibe like socially and, and like are people, what does it feel like to be at a recurse center day to day? Yeah. I mean, I understand. So like, obviously I only say my own experiences mm-hmm. and I, I have heard from people that it does differ. So you, so you have a cohort. Mm -hmm. kind of like you call it a batch Mm -hmm. and so each batch can have like you know well by virtue it's you know in a a completely different set of people every time Mm -hmm. and so depending on your batch you will probably have a different experience but I really like my batch and we have a like we have a, a nice number of international folk how many people are in it about 30 okay so it's it's pretty big. Mm-hmm. So you have enough you have enough people to kind of find your tribe, mm-hmm. but also enough people for there to be a good amount of diversity of what people come from. So we have a few scientists, we have people from the web, some people who are still in college, some people who, you know, have recently graduated college or are in between on their PhD. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's nice to have that span of people so you have a lot of different kinds of experience. Yeah. I mean, day to day, there is check-ins at 1030, which are like stand up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are pretty much stand up uh, without calling it stand up. And you you sign up for a group and it's it's just kind of your accountability buddies. Mm-hmm. And like it is still self-organized. So like it, that is actually literally the only thing that you are, you know, in quotes, supposed to come to. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't, no one's going to come after you. Except like if, if you like stop showing up, then maybe someone will be like, hey, are you still here? Mm. Um, <laughs> but like if you're sick or whatever, or you, you know, you slept in, <laughs> like, it's not that big a deal. Like it's a part of your motive, like part of your accountability. Yeah. So you, you like you, it's kind of the social responsibility. So you have an accountability to your group to provide that accountability for others. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they do that for you. And so it's also just people to say like, Hey, what are you working on? Uh, what are you, who are you looking for? And so it's, it's such a good thing for, I'm working on this and oh, so-and-so led a workshop on that like three weeks ago. Right. Uh, you should go talk to so-and-so and then you do and then it, it's great. Or, oh, I want to pair an X. Oh, so-and-so wants to pair an X. And then it helps you, even though you're only checking in with, you know, six people, it helps connect you, you know, through the network to everybody in the space. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So it works out pretty nice. Yeah. So what have you done to add structure to this? Like, do you, I assume you need to do something like I would need to come up with rules or a plan or something because the, the totally open thing would be tough for me to deal with. 
Yeah, it depends on the person. Yeah. And I've definitely had I've had a couple floundering weeks. I had some really really good weeks, like in the midst of uh, my big project, uh, which was the Mac Vim Speak. So during that, that was that was really great because I had a, a thing and I just for me, a lot of it was a notebook. I've also seen people mm. use Trello. Mm-hmm. And so I just have a notebook and I will list, you know, when I've been floundering, I haven't been doing this. And I think that's definitely a, a contributor. And when I say floundering, mm. I mean, I kind of like come in and like goof off and talk to everybody and just kind of don't get anything done. But maybe I go to like a workshop. So I always learn something. But it's maybe like I only get two hours of productivity out of the day instead of a good, you know, six or so. Sure. Yeah. I, I think maybe I just need to recharge my social batteries, too. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it's fun to just talk to people and, you know, and you end up helping other people by, you know, bouncing ideas off each other. Mm-hmm. But so what, in my notebook, what I would do is I would write down every possible thing I wanted to do and then I would rank them. And mm-hmm. I would say, OK, just everything that I could do, I could read SICP. Or I could practice Lisp or I could pair with so-and-so on Swift or I could, you know, preferably the list is decently long, but usually it's like only like eight things. And so then I try and get the top three things done pretty much. Okay, that's good. Because it's also, you know, there's it's not a big deal if you don't do something. Right, of course. So really it's more about prioritizing the things you do want to do. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a beautiful situation where you get to set all the priorities and the only person evaluating your performance is you. yeah. And it's also kind of like a yawning chasm to look into, I would say. Yeah, it definitely freaks a lot of people out. Mm-hmm. And it got, it's gone by so fast, too. I have three weeks left. So it's a 12-week program? Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah. Okay. So you're almost all, all done. Do you want to talk about uh, MacVim speak a little bit? Yeah, I would love to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. it was my first full uh, Swift project, and it is also a native Mac application, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is really cool. It's a speech recognition app that listens to you talk, and then translates what you say into Vim commands. Mm. So you turn it on, and you can open any Vim instance. It doesn't care. You just have to change focus. Mm-hmm. And so because the interesting thing about Vim is that it all generally maps to English words. And so Vim, for people who don't use Vim, I feel like it's so easy when we've gotten better at something to forget what it was like when we didn't know it. Sure. And recall when you didn't know Vim and in the terminal, you would accidentally end up in Vim and you couldn't get out. <laughs> like this happened a lot <laughs> until mm. you bothered to learn. At least, you know, even if you are a different text editor user, you have to, if you do anything in the terminal, you need to learn enough Vim so that you can escape Vim when you need to get out <laughs> or you need to know how to write, you need to know how to how to quit without save. But yeah, so all that stuff, all the Vim commands generally map to English words. And so you say English words and it executes the keystrokes. So it actually turned out to be, I think it's really interesting because it's a a fairly simple solution. And the other thing that I was excited about is there's, so the hands-free coding kind of movement, which I think hands-free coding is really cool and I think we should have more, like more tools for it. At the same time, after writing a hands-free coding app that, you know, is hard to use around here because you're around other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so ultimately, that's the big challenge is I think, you know, maybe one day we'll get over this open office movement so we can mm-hmm. all have our own little doors and everything again. Mm-hmm. That'd be wonderful. But until then, it's kind of hard to talk to your computer uh, without, like, I mean, everyone can hear you. So, so, <laughs> so. can you give me examples? So I'm a, I'm a Vim user myself. Like, if I wanted to, like, uh, change up until a comma, would I just say change till comma or something like that? Mm, I think that one's that one's more complicated. But you could do change three word. Okay, 
Cool. So to literally see that VCW3 would be how you do that by hand. Right. And then once I've done that, does it know I'm in insert mode and what I say should be typed into the thing? Uh, no, it actually does not care about modes. So okay. you, you can tell it to shush uh-huh. and then it um, goes to sleep <laughs> mm-hmm. and won't execute any commands. Uh, but the idea of it too was, it was part of it was just to get something, you get the kind of 1.0 version done pretty fast. Oh, sure, totally. And I also, I'm interested in the idea of mixed interfaces because doing something that is completely hands-free, you know, not ever touching a keyboard, like that's really hard. For sure. Like, because our, you know, voice recognition it's gotten, we've been, you know, computer people have been working on it for a long time, but it still is lacking and we have dialect problems and all these other things. And it is just... I mean, I use dictation software, and it is not pleasant mm-hmm. <laughs> to to dictate things, especially when you're just like, I can type keys, and it like I am error free, but the the mm. dictation software is not. Right. <laughs> or if I make errors, then it's my own fault. <laughs> so there's that kind of pleasure in using your own keyboard. Mm-hmm. So the idea for the app is that you can mix the interface. Most hands-free coding systems are hand rolled, and because mm. we have all these different programming languages. Everyone wants to use their own special environment with their own special plugins, with their own special frameworks. And so there's no generalized solutions for hands-free coding. Mm-hmm. The way people hands-free code, if you like look into this, I, I keep saying hands-free coding because I, someone in the voice coding community recently started, I think it's called, it's handsfreecoding.org. Okay. And it's a really cool site where they're introducing, you know, it's really hard to find out how to do hands-free coding on your own and inevitably you end up in this awful situation where you're only looking it up because you're injured or you're hurt and so you are not in the place to write a custom you know essentially operating system right yeah that's <laughs> uh, good point. so like you're already injured and so why would you want to so what people actually do like for the decent hand-rolled ones the kind of standard of practice is that you need to run Dragon Naturally Speaking, which is proprietary software and mm-hmm. costs a chunk of change, you need to run that on a Windows machine. So if you don't run on a Windows machine, you need to run a Windows VM or an external machine somewhere. Then you need to create a bridge from that machine to your machine. Mm. And then you also have to write a lot of Python code because the Naturally Speaking is the only one that you can uh, script with. You can't script with Dragon Dictate on Mac. So you have to script it using Python code. And basically, like, the steps of this just sound awful. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I've never succeeded with it. Mm-hmm. I've tried. <laughs> but that was before the site came out. And so maybe I actually could now. Mm-hmm. But man, like, if you just lay that out, like, the level of dependencies for that, that's just awful. Right. <laughs> um, and so the other thing with Mac Vimspeak is it uses native dictation. So if you have a Mac and you hit the key function function, it should say, hey, do you want to dictate? Because you have these accessibility tools in your machine. Mm-hmm. And so the way people have been doing voice coding with Dragon Naturally Speaking is a bit from the days before the native stuff got better. Mm. Now it's it's still not great. Like it's still, I mean, Dragon, that's why they make money is they're great. They have great software, really good natural language stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you want to, you know, if you write blog posts and you need to stop using your hands a little bit, you can just use native dictation and, you know, at least write the majority of it and then go back and edit. Mm-hmm. And it'll be so much better for you in terms of just giving your hands a break mm-hmm. that 
I think I'm I'm all for it. I mean, I have dragon now, mm-hmm. so so I use dragon, mm-hmm. um, and and dragon's good for command and control, which is what you need to do when you're doing voice control of a computer. So command and control being, you know, instead of instead of taking the words I say and then expressing them in text, like taking the words I say and you know parsing it and saying, oh, open Chrome means. Like, don't type out the words open Chrome. It means open the application that is named Chrome. Right. Uh, So command and control does that. And I think it's interesting. I just, I think it's really cool that we have more of a public accessibility movement on the web now Mm. and in software, uh, the whole ally, A11Y movement, Mm. because I, I think we should be allowed to use computers and however we want. Sure. So we can have these, you know, majority mass market interfaces for that work for the majority of people, but whether you have a reason to need an alternative interface or you just feel like you know using your foot instead of using your hand on a mouse, so you can use a you can use a foot pedal. Mm-hmm. If you feel like doing that, we should make it decently easy to do that, so that we can create the interfaces that we want. I think it's one of the only ways we can push interfaces forward is to be open to doing things differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, this isn't too personal, but were you having RSI issues or something that pushed you down this, this dictation path in the first place? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I've been talking out about it a little bit more. I was I was definitely afraid at first because you worry about your ability to work. We're totally. I mean, it's the scariest thing when it happens to you. Mm-hmm. But I have enough confidence now and partially because I've like adopted ergonomic tools and I've like figured out my tool set and what I need to do in order to work. Mm-hmm. But the first year is just terrifying. Yeah. Because you're, you mean, it's how you make money. And it doesn't help when you talk to other people with RSI a lot of times too. Because I, I remember a distinct time I was talking to friends about, oh, you know, I got, because also what happens is you get these, these diagnoses that are not RSI. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've never really, I don't think I've ever had a doctor say I have RSI. Mm. I've gotten carpal tunnel. I've gotten tendonitis. I've gotten, I've gotten everything, but saying the problem is you use computers too much, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is actually the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I talked to someone who was a hairdresser. So this was a friend of a friend. And we were just hanging out. And he said, oh, yeah, I have RSI. Because that's the thing about RSI is it's not just a computer thing. It is an anyone who does repetitive things thing. Yep. So as a hairdresser. And I was like, oh, what would you do? And he's like, well, I'm not a hairdresser. Uh, I was like, that's awful. That is not what I needed to hear yeah. during this stressful time in my life. Right. <laughs> I was hoping you would say, oh, and, you know, I did something really cool that magically made everything okay and I could do the same thing that I was doing. But that's also really, that's the secret. And that's really the emotional thing you have to come to terms with. You just can't, you can't do the same, like, you know, this is one of those things that applies to everything. You can't do the same thing over and over and expect different results. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you were doing something and it was injuring you and you want to continue doing that same thing in the same way without it injuring you, that is just not going to happen. Yeah, You can do the same thing in a different way. You can do a different thing the same way, maybe. Mm-hmm. But you cannot do the same thing the same way and expect it to turn out differently. That mm-hmm. is just not how things work. Yep. Yeah, I, I so I've I've had some RSI flare-ups in the past myself, and you're right, it's so scary. It's like really terrifying. Yeah. And I had some good success. I switched to a Kinesis keyboard, Advantage keyboard, oh, me too. Uh, yeah. which I'm a huge fan of. They actually, I, I had a crazy thing happen the other day. They, they're, I guess they started a new Twitter account and they followed me, which was like kind of like the happiest moment I've had so far on Twitter. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why that happened. That's also impressive considering their websites from like 1994. Yeah, I think they're kind of just getting into this whole internet thing. <laughs> 
I mean, also they, there's more competition in the keyboard space now. Yep. Like I'm really interested now in keyboard.io. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all going to be all open source. I think. That's super cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of them. Like if people, people have asked me sometimes, like, what, what do you recommend for that? And like that switching to a Kinesis Advantage keyboard was big for me. I use a mouse that's sort of more vertical. Like, you don't, you don't uh, totally pronate your hand. It's kind of more like your hand is sort of straight up and down, like you were shaking someone's hand. I can't yeah, remember the name I of it. Yeah, I thought about, yeah, well, it's called a vertical mouse. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I yeah, meant the brand I, name. Oh, oh. <laughs> I've thought about getting one, but I right now I have a trackball. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, like changing stuff helped, basically. Like yeah. Finding a new way of doing things was, was what made a big difference for me. Is that your biggest takeaway, like, like what you would recommend to people if they're starting to experience these same issues? Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, it took me, well, one, the best book is It's Not Carpal Tunnel. Okay, yeah. Um, that sounds good. So it's a great book. And it was one of those things when I, you know, you come across, and inevitably, it seems like in your career, you'll come across these, like, I'm on a few listservs, and I'll come across listserv conversations where someone's just like, I know this isn't on topic, but I have my hand starting to hurt. Mm-hmm. And and it's, you know, now having the experience of like living with that for a while, that's just like so tough to see because mm-hmm. it's like, uh, they're going to have to go through all the same awful shit that I went through. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want them not. Right. I would love them to, you know, be happy and uninjured. And but the information really isn't, you know, like doctors and physical therapists aren't as informed. Right. Especially like people might understand like, oh yeah, everybody uses computer, but you don't really understand, especially like, you know, internet people, how much we use the computer. Right. Like I have never put a, you know, you can do those activity clocks or whatever to be like, how much time do you spend on each website? Cause I actually do not want to know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but like, I mean, I use a computer. I mean, anymore. I, I don't, I do all like purposely sometimes just leave my computer in my bag um, just to, cause it's also, you know, like, oh, like I'm going to go out to dinner instead or, you know, go for a walk or go, you know, go do other things, other things, not on a computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so, so rough to see that. And so I guess it's, you know, really talking to someone who has had a similar experience would have helped me a lot. Yeah. And that was, that was really the thing was seeing other people's listservs and leading me to that book and leading me to, you know, understanding kind of like, I always hate this too because I really wish that you could just go to a doctor and they would just tell you, you know, ta-da, here's your problem. Like I, you know, like Star Trek, I put it through the dianagonalizer <laughs> and, you know, here's your problem and here's how to fix it. But unfortunately, we don't have that. Right. So you have to, you, I wish we didn't have to do any work, but we have to do a lot of our own work advocating for ourselves. And so like when I got, you know, the, the, oh, God, scary, you know, carpal tunnel diagnosis Uh for me to say, like, I don't believe you (laughs) Mm. was a very tough thing to do. Mm -hmm. And like, or, or I understand that these, like, you know, you did the basic tests and like those all, but if I, you know, through my behavior, I can control this in such a way that another doctor, like if they ran the test on me now would not say I had carpal tunnel Mm. because most of my problems right now are elbows. This is my current issue. Interesting. Gotcha. So, so one thing that I recommend to people is if you are a professor, so the, as you mentioned, like this thing threatens your ability to make a living and for almost every person, the most valuable asset they have is their ability to continue to work. Like it's worth hundreds and thousands of dollars, maybe more millions, maybe over your lifetime. And so like any other asset that is incredibly valuable, you should insure it. And so chances are you have some sort of like disability insurance through work. It's probably not good enough. And you should probably go look into getting 
own occupation disability insurance, which is what I did after I had this RSI issue, because it's you can get insurance. It basically says if for some reason you can't work anymore, we're going to pay you X percent, like 80-ish percent of your current salary for the remainder of the time where you can't work. So if it's suddenly it's like, you know what, I have to take two years off because I have totally you know wrecked my arms and I can't type at all. Um, you can have a thing that will help you get through that financially. And so because I had already experienced RSI symptoms and been, had been treated for it, I have an exemption on my disability insurance which says you cannot use this for if you have problems with RSI, which is a pain. That's awful. Yeah, it's, it's not cool. It's a pre-existing condition kind of thing. And so I, I oh think I, I can eventually get that fixed as long as I've been fine for a long time, which I have. But if you are currently healthy... I would actually recommend this is not financial or legal or whatever advice, but take <laughs> right. a look at this. Um, take a look and like, don't think just because you have it through work that it's, it's, it's great. Like you want own occupation disability insurance, meaning like you can't do because a lot of disability insurance says we'll pay you disability if you can't do any job. And so that's like, okay, well, I can't type yeah. anymore, but I could still still go earn minimum wage at Burger King. Yeah, I could, you know, I could hang clothes on racks. Right. Yeah. So so you want own, it's called own occupation disability insurance, where it's like, if you can't do your current job, um, then we will pay you part of your current salary as long as that's true. And I think that's a worthy investment for a lot of people. So it's worth looking into. Uh, yeah. I mean, insurance is such like a you're betting against yourself. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the problem I have with it. Yeah. But at the same time, like... It's a good idea. <laughs> it is. I mean, so, so my stance on insurance is that I didn't invent is, you know, you, you, need, you should need to insure the things you can't afford to replace. So, like, yeah. I, I don't get insurance on my iPhone and I don't get Apple Care on my MacBook because, like, if it came down to it, I could buy a new iPhone if I you had to. You can deal. <laughs> I can deal. But I cannot deal with losing my job and not being able to work for a long, long, long time, right? So, like, because of that, I have to yeah. insure that kind of thing. And so uh, look into it. That's today's tip for this podcast. <laughs> So you, um, I'm going to segue now. Sure. Uh, you wrote a book. I did. That's very cool. Congratulations. Thanks. Can you talk about what the book is about? Yeah. So it's called Choosing a JavaScript Framework. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it with the, also with the assistance of, of three awesome co-authors. So the idea is the, before I get into that, is the idea of the book is so, ever, you know, especially the three major JavaScript frameworks out there right now for if you're looking at, you know, I need a JavaScript framework for my client-side application mm-hmm. are Backbone, Angular, and Ember. Mm-hmm. I mean, React is getting up there now. I mean, this is just how fast JavaScript stuff moves. Right. But so the idea in the book is that it gives you, you know, I tell you right at the beginning that I can't tell you what to do. Like, this is the answer that is the answer, but nobody likes. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I can't wave my wand and tell you that this is the one framework to rule them all. And you should, you know, forget about all those other frameworks. They're just pretending. So I tell you that right at the beginning. And then what we do is we go through each of the major frameworks with a little bit over React and Polymer in the emerging kind of section. But in each of those frameworks, we go over kind of the background, the intentions, the advantages, disadvantages, and then we build a simple app. Hmm. And so you can see what it looks like, you know, like, so here's, you know, the strengths of this framework and, you know, what you might want it for. And then you can actually see it in action. So it's really, you know, almost the book is kind of like the longer version of like the blog post you've seen on that. So it's more in depth. Mm -hmm. It's still very short and very easy to read. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully it can help you, you know, especially for people who, you know, are like, 
if you brave yourself to open r slash javascript on reddit <laughs> like there's 10 new frameworks every day mm-hmm. and so it gets so overwhelming and so if you just if you're just like i do not care <laughs> about spending my energy on this i just want someone to give me an overview so that i can make somewhat of an informed decision mm-hmm. on this thing that matters to my my app or my company or my project mm-hmm. and so that's what the idea is so i i wrote the main structure and the main draft and then each of the additional authors each of them is an expert in each of those three major frameworks which is really cool mm, because nice. there's really they really bring a lot of depth from you know cuz this is the thing is like you really you don't you can't know everything about ember unless you talk to someone who's like deep in the ember community mm-hmm. and i would say the same thing about angular as well too really um nowadays especially with the the hype around angular 2 and all this so there's just a lot of movement within the space that being someone writing about it from, you know, I, I've done a lot of research, I've done written a lot of code, and here's my impression of it. You know, having people who are deep in the weeds really makes a big difference. And so I think they added a lot of depth to the book that I really appreciate. I, I, I like this idea for a book because to me, programming is all about balancing trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And so anything that speaks to that is, to me, is, is valuable. Because, and, and I like that you just started right off with like, you know, people kind of hate this answer, but it's the truth is, which is no one can decide these things for you. There's rarely going to be a situation where it's like, this is obviously the best choice and we are taking no risk by making it. It's basically always the inverse of that, which is like, this seems best and hopefully we are choosing well and let's, you know, let's try it out and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is we get into choice paralysis, but we forget that Thank goodness in software, no decision really lasts forever Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you're going to rewrite that thing before 10 years are in, you know? And I mean, if you, if you work at a place where you don't rewrite those things, then that's other problems. Um, But if that application is still in use and hasn't been replaced by something else that better fits the needs of, of who you're serving, I mean, you're really only going to have to deal with whatever decision you make for probably five years, <laughs> like maximum. <laughs> Who stays in a job for five years? That never happens. <laughs> so, oh yeah. And so like, even if you go, like, it, you can leave and it won't be your problem anymore. Exactly. Don't worry about any decision too much because you can always oh, quit. Yeah. That's my motto. <laughs> if it goes really bad, there's, there's more work out there. There's, there's other options. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, I think we should leave it on that very serious note then, I think. Okay. So before we go, is there anything that you want to plug to our listeners? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you want to keep in touch with me on the internet, my Twitter is Pamasaur, like the dinosaur. Nice. That doesn't exist. And my my blog is The Web of War, also dinosaur-related. And then I also podcast with a few friends, and it is called Turing Incomplete. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and podcast places, and the website is Turing.cool. <laughs> Turing.cool? Yeah, top-level domains. Very nice. Very cool. Uh, It's been great talking to you. Thanks for uh, virtually stopping by. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 144. Thanks for listening. 